obviously great. Thank you so much to the band. That's absolutely amazing. That's brilliant. Um, you know, you, can, you guys have already got a lot of this stuff worked out. Um, I, I travel around quite a lot, and uh, you can tell a lot about the welcome you get when you go to a church, especially when you turn up early. And uh, we turned up early this morning. We left, uh, we left home at about 10 to, 10 to 6, did three hours on the road, arrived a little earlier than expected. And, you know, just Chris just goes an amazing welcome and, like, the green room team and um, just a sense of love in the house, just fantastic. And, you know, it's great to connect uh, with Dave. I've been watching him from afar for quite a, a number of years through the mind map stuff that he's done. And, and down in the south, we like to keep a careful eye on your northern leaders because you're doing all this amazing stuff and we're getting pretty nervous. None of us travel north of Birmingham. We're seeing all this explosive growth in the north and church planting with you guys and uh, with abundant life and with audacious church. And we're seeing all sorts of incredible things happening. Praise God. And you know, what, one of the things uh, that's really awesome about Dave and about Jenny, about their leadership as a team, is this sense that you're one church with many campuses. And yet we all have a critic. He's traveling with us all the time. What we really need is an encouraging friend. And uh, I, I, I just see that in this culture. The culture that you've created is a culture of love and empowerment and encouragement and celebration. And you know, that is, they're all the things that are in God's heart, right? And so whatever I bring today to you guys, uh, I hope it's to complement and to bless what is already here. You know, we're not starting at zero here. We're starting way up the field. But what we want to do is how can we pastor smarter not how can we start to pastor, because you guys are already doing that. And like, I just want to bless you and encourage you, not patronize you. But um, I was struck by this passage in Ecclesiastes. You know, they're full of, full of great wisdom, this great book of wisdom. It just says in Ecclesiastes 10.10, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. And I don't say to you, guys, you are chopping down trees in this ministry. You know, you're doing serious kingdom damage, and that's an amazing thing, but how much strength do you need to chop down those trees? How much strength are you using on a weekly basis to chop down those trees? And how are you going to stay well in your ministry if you're working so hard? And actually, maybe, you know, we should spend some bit more time sharpening the axe before we get to work. Actually, you know, what we're going to do today is actually spend some, t you've taken time out, and I want you guys to think, I've taken time out today to sharpen my axe, so that when I go back into the forest tomorrow, I'm going to chop down trees just with ease, because skill will bring us some success. You know, so that, that's how we're going to work through these things. And I'm going to start off with just some teaching generally about pastor, because I believe that we need to re-envision pastor for the 21st century. Now, uh, we have to be careful here because obviously I'm an Anglican vicar, and um, we've, we've heard that mentioned several times. I'll try not, I, I'll try not to bring out my robes after half time. <coughs> but, um, but, you know, I know in different church traditions we use different terms, and you guys have been talking about pastors, about lead pastors, and, and so that equivalent in, in your setting would be to be the vicar. In my setting, we talk about people being priests or vicars, and then we, we, we segregate people out to be pastors and teachers and evangelists and the like. Now, you will all have an understanding of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about pastoral ministry, and when I'm talking about re-envisioning pastoring, I'm not going to be doing a workshop on how to be an amazing speaker or an amazing leader, because you've got those in space. What we're talking about here is how actually can we do pastoral ministry well? Because um, let's just think for a minute about some of the preconceptions that we have about what pastoral ministry looks like. Let's be honest. 
today as we start off. And like, anyone who wants to spiritualize this stuff, this seminar isn't for you, okay? Uh, you know, if you're holier than thou, I'll just feel bad and I'll go. This is how I feel, and I'm a pastoral leader, right? So this is, how my, this is my DNA. But this is how I feel when I approach pastoring. So it's time-consuming. So you, you get in on a Monday morning, you open your inbox, there are six emails from different people, all with significant needs. Some of them are fresh, because you're going, hey, that person's totally normal, and they need my help. I feel like helping them. But then you get to email number two, and this person you've seen already nine times in the last three months. And they're telling you, uh, they're asking a question that they've already asked you before, and you're sure that you answered it at length, like at, at least an hour and a half of your time. And now you're thinking, how can I avoid email number two and just do email number one? And then you go on to email number three, and email number three is okay. It's a simple question. But they require a meeting, and meeting takes time. So you're thinking another meeting is going to lead to another meeting. And then email number four is someone who's, who's really disturbed and upsets you a lot and is very blunt but wants more of your pastoral time and is seeking change. And by the time you get through your inbox, you're thinking pastoral ministry is time-consuming. And I haven't got time because I'm a pastor under pressure. The second thing you think is this energy sapping. You know, when I sit down with some people, depending on the nature of their needs, I feel physically heavy, like heavier than I really am. You know, my, 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 my chair goes down, depending on who's in their room. It's like a barometer of the, like, the weight of emotional intensity. You know, there are some people that will give you life, and then there are some people that will take life from you. And that does not mean that they're not people who love Jesus. Sometimes people who love Jesus the most can take the most life out of you. But you have to be honest and recognize that that is a reality. It's energy sapping. And, you know, you guys, of course, are all impervious superhero pastors. So, you know, you put on your smart T-shirts and you work out and then you go, uh, uh, <coughs> you go, to, the, uh, you go to the office you know, and needy people coming to see you, and it's like, poof, it just bounces off your J-Club t-shirt, because it's all good. Then you're thinking, what's the DNA of my church? Like, you guys are planting churches hand over fist. You know, you've got like a place to fill with new believers, and you're excited about growing the kingdom of God. And you're thinking, I'm sitting here, and I'm spending an hour and a half with this person, and I'm getting nowhere. And the last, the last and the least are wandering along the road here, and I'm having nothing to do with them because I'm so busy looking after you. But we're not making any progress. So I feel futile, and I'm feeling like this is conflicting with my growth agenda. And so you immediately become hostile to your own pastoring because your pastoring is a problem to you. So you're divided on yourself, and you're wondering what that is going on. You're thinking, why did I get into this business anyway? Just call me an evangelist. Go to someone else. <laughs> Pastoral ministry is totally overwhelming at times. You know, and what we do is we go home and we're, like, we're carrying these heavy burdens and I say to my beautiful wife, Louie, darling, today, this is what I dealt with. And like, I can tell you, in the last 18 months, I've dealt with a pedophile in the church. I've dealt with a whole host of sexual abuse and domestic abuse in the home. 
I've dealt with uh, issues, complex issues of sexuality. I've dealt with many cases of borderline personality disorder, some psychotic disorders. I've dealt with all sorts of neurotic disorders. Uh, I've dealt with uh, young people at risk, social services. I've dealt with uh, exclusion teams. Uh, I've dealt with ex-offenders trying to get back into the fellowship of the church. You name it, uh, I've seen it. And if I've seen it, you've seen it. We're experiencing this stuff, right? And I'm doing some work with youth leaders at the moment. I was up at Youthscape in Luton last week, and um, I came in to do some teaching for them, and I said, okay, let's do some anecdotal stories. You guys tell me what you've heard this week. They're saying, okay, so I'm meeting a young guy. He's like 14. Uh, His dad killed himself. His mum's got serious mental health problems. He's exclusion from school. His family are violent. He's developing drug dependency. Uh, He is uh, definitely on the road to minor criminality, and I'm falling down the plug hole. I'm sure he's depressed. I'm sure he's anxious. I'm sure he's got developing problems. What do I do? And this is a young youth leader. (laughs) You're going, good. Have a good time with that one. I hope that works out for you. You We are dealing with some seriously overwhelming issues in our society. You know what's funny? People think that vicars and pastors are working one day a week, and the rest of the time you're playing golf. (laughs) But you're not, are you? Because you're tired. And that's why I don't want to waste your time today, because you should be resting right now. We think that pastoral ministry is also skill-specific or typology-specific. And so we all naturally think, I am not a good pastor. But there is a lady in my church who's 50, has very beautifully styled and shorter hair, wears uh, lovely suits, and has been doing lots of Joyce Mayer training. And uh, she is a pastor. She looks like a pastor, she walks like a pastor, she talks like a pastor. She's the person you need to see. She's actually my mum, and I know she's good. Uh, You know, we all looking for a mother type who is going to care for us, and we hope for that, and so we hope for that for others too. So we disempower our ministry because we don't believe that we are the pastor. We believe that someone else has the skills, and that we can kind of muddle through. We'll talk a bit about this a bit more later on. And it's guilt-inducing, right? Ultimately, who feels guilty because they're not a good enough pastor? Me. We feel bad because we don't see the results that we're looking for. Uh, We don't think we're doing the good enough job that we hope that we should be doing. We don't feel that we've given the advice that we need to give. And ultimately, we feel like we're not fulfilling the main aims that we set out with in ministry in the first place. So why do we do it? Why, Why do we do what we do? No, we need to um, have another think about the ministry to which we're called. You know, Jesus was the pastor. Pastoral ministry just means shepherding. You know, where does this come from? Where does pastoral ministry come from? It comes from the field, right? So Jesus is in the field, and he's wandering around the hills in Galilee, and, and he's looking around and thinking, I need an analogy here. So uh, you are the lost sheep of Israel, and I'm the shepherd. I'm here to tend the sheep. It's a pastoral ministry. It's in the field. It's intrinsic to what we do, actually looking after the people, uh, leaving the 99 and going after the one. So we're called to this ministry. We're equipped for this ministry. And yet somewhere along the line, particularly in the 21st century, the ministry to which we're called is hijacking us. I love them. I love a passage in Mark's gospel when Jesus has gone to, a, uh, to Simon Peter's house 
and uh, he's there for a rest, and you know, can imagine he's he's gone in. They've got good food, and it's just like here at Hope City. You know, there's there's a green room for leaders. Can you imagine the green room from Jesus? And there's a couple of people, Mary and Martha, standing by the side, you know, waiting to. Do you want good coffee, Jesus, or these Maltesers are good? And you know, I want to refresh you, and I want you to relax with the disciples in this amazing green room in my house. Outside, there are tons of people who have leprosy and all sorts of. Uh, terrible diseases. Some people have got evil spirits. We just want to give you a break for a few minutes. Now, Jesus has been healing the sick and casting out demons, and, and people were coming from all over the town to come and see Jesus, but Jesus was in the green room. But the anticipation was that Jesus was going to come out of the green room and carry on the business, except that Jesus got really up really early in the morning, and he crept out, and he crept over the bodies of the broken. He crept over their bodies because they were surrounding the house. They were laying out on the floor, and he crept over their bodies, and then he crept right up a mountain, and he spent an awful lot of time restoring himself with the Lord. And then, then the lost sheep of Israel come out of the house looking for the lost shepherd, thinking, hey, where's the lost shepherd? He's supposed to be helping us here. There are all these people. This is ministry. We're busy. We should be working 70-hour weeks. And then they go up the hill. And the lost sheep of Israel rebuke the lost shepherd of Israel. And they say, Jesus, where were you? He's saying, I'm spending time with my father. Let's go to the other side of the lake. You know, we have a really discordant understanding of Jesus' pastoral ministry. But this is the ministry to which we're called. And it's a ministry of healing the sick, raising the dead, and casting out demons. But it's also a ministry of tiptoeing over the body of the needy in order to get up the mountain with the Lord. Okay? Apostolic responses aren't necessarily the right responses. What do we do when we're in, we're in difficulty pastorally? And this is disempowering your ministries, guys. So, so, so take heed of the things that you wouldn't actually do. I love to call things out. These are things I would do. So the first thing you think is avoidance. Uh, quick, delete the email, uh, or send it to spam, you know, uh, or, or, or out of church when the person that you, want, that you know wants you, you know, you kind of, oh, hi, and then you just quickly walk through and shake other people's hands to avoid that moment. Or delegation. I'll choose the pastoral people in the church, and you can fill in the gaps for me as the pastor. So I'll, I'll, I'll just get other people who are pastorally gifted, and I won't meet anyone. I'm just unreachable. I just, I just delegate. Or we do the pastoral diminishment, which is, actually, this church isn't really pastoral. So if you've got issues, there's a Methodist church <laughs> just over there. We kind of do smiley together people who are like sorted, and, and they do people with needs like yours. So if you want to go there next week, I know the pastor would really welcome you. This is the guy who's having the nervous breakdown just down the hill. Okay? Cultural hardness. So we make our, our cultures apparently welcoming, but actually you only just need to scratch a little bit below the surface, and it's not welcoming at all. So the culture is hard because the whole culture says, actually, you have to absorb the cultural motif to the extent that you can't reveal your heart. Because real revelation will mean exclusion. So people don't talk about their mental health problems. People don't talk about their emotional health problems. People don't talk about their problems. Because if they do, then they're actually rejected by association. It's inconducive to the setting to actually reveal. And we can do this, friends, by actually creating sub-ministries where it's acceptable to do this, but it's not acceptable here. 
And we've got to be careful of that, however good our sub-ministries might be. So we can create this cultural hardness. And, you know, I worked in the church, and I worked hard to undo some of that cultural hardness. But I still come into contact with people who say to me, wow, lovely church, but man, did I feel rejected. And that's a hard thing to hear. That's a hard thing to hear. We can do imported healing models. So we're thinking, I am no good at pastoring. I need to get someone from America to show me how to pastor people. So I'll import a model online, and I'll get the workbooks and the handbooks, and we do everything by the handbook. So if someone comes to you and they says, I need your help, and you go, whoa, page one, step one. Let's just begin here with this prayer. Once you've said this prayer, you will feel better. And if you don't feel better, it's because of sin in you, rebellion in you, problems with you. So actually, it's nothing to do with my pastoral skills. Step two, how are we doing? And they say, yes. And you say, are you free? And they say, oh, I'm free. And then they look sad. And then they don't come back. And we wonder why. Okay? We need to live pastorally because Jesus was the pastor. He didn't say, hey, hold on a minute, everyone. This is a bit complex for me. I'm just going to get out the uh, Freedom in Christ handbook to make sure I know the way to go. He lived with the people, and he experienced life with the people. And we can end up, of course, with self-selecting congregations. So people sometimes say to me, oh, well, our church just doesn't have those sort of problems. I say, how many people have you got? Four? They said, no, we've got 400. So 100 people have got those sort of problems then. No, 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 those sort of people just don't come to our churches. Now, in this room right now, 25% of you have struggled with an emotional mental health problem. That's a statistical reality, okay? I have a mental health problem. It's called GAD. It's not God. That would be a different sort of mental health problem. Uh, mine is GAD, which is Generalized Anxiety Disorder. People find it really interesting that I speak to large crowds of people. I, I seem to be perfectly confident inside I'm shaking like a leaf. No, I'm not really. Uh, but, you know, I struggle with anxiety, with an anxiety disorder for most of my life, and loads of people put the cross between me and anxiety. The, the best way I can describe it to you is I have that feeling like you've just dropped your keys in a drain, except it happens to me quite a lot. That kind of like, oh, feeling, like, oh, you know, that's, a, that's the sort of feeling I get. And, and I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm very much in control of that. But, but I share that with you as disclosure to say that there are no shiny, happy pastors. You know, like, we are not impervious to pain. I have experienced depression and PTSD. I was telling Dave through the London bombings in, in 2005, and that was the beginning of quite a kind of a season of extreme anxiety that I had following some work I did there in, in the Edgware Road. And, uh, and what I've noticed is as I've just tried to disclose and say this is okay, you can be an effective pastor with these real-life issues. You don't need to be kind of sorted out. We can, also, we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Because I want to say to you, pastor, if you're not depressed now, at some point in your 40-year ministry, you probably will be. <laughs> and you'll thank me that I said to you on stage, I've been there. Because you'll say, oh, I remember a guy, he seemed to be speaking all right, and he, he'd said he'd had a problem in the past. And that's okay. It's okay. Let's like... Psh- Open our hearts and go, this is real life, okay? This is real life, and that's okay. It's okay to feel like this. Renewing our calling is about coming back to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The pastoral ministry of Jesus that we carry emanates from the loving relationship that we have with Jesus. 
So all of the pastoral ministry that you do is only significant, it's only effective, so long as you personally know the love of Jesus in this heart, right? And so how can you be a bad pastor? Well, being a bad pastor, as in a a, a pastor who lacks proficiency, is not about being a pastor who doesn't know how to help someone who's got some complex problems. It's not about being a pastor who who doesn't go around asking people how they're doing. The only way you can be a bad pastor is being a pastor who doesn't know that Jesus loves them. That's the only way you can be a bad pastor. Because I can tell you, some of the most healing people in my life's experience have been the people who've known the least of the psychological and the spiritual things, but have known the most about love. Who've said to me, brother, I love you. I want to just give you a hug and tell you I'm with you, whatever happens. That is pastoral ministry. Like, we are complicating the show. You just need to be loved. And you just need to know you're loved. The trouble is that so many pastors don't really know that they're loved by Jesus as much as they need to know that reality. And we're going to go on to perfectionism in our second session. But, you know, we've got an endemic problem, friends in that we've kind of sometimes lost sight of the love of Jesus for the ministries of Jesus. Shh, don't tell anyone I said that, okay? And that's where this whole idea of priorities is key, that Jesus tiptoed over the bodies of the broken in order to know the love of God again. You love me, Lord, and know from the love that you have from me, all these things are possible. From the love that you have for me, everything is possible. Are we afraid to say what we want? I I often think um I often think we have a culture in in Christian world that that actually doesn't call things out. Because we're a little bit like, oh, I don't want to upset anyone, and there might be someone connected to me on Twitter or Facebook who might not like this. But but we have to say, what do we want? We, We have to recognize that we want a different sort of ministry. That, that is good for us and good for other people because it was good for Jesus, like in his ministry. It, it, you know, it was tiring and it was sapping, but ultimately Jesus was full of the love of God. And, and, and that fullness is something that we're seeking because anything less is depletion. And actually when we're, when we're ministering out of depletion, we're ministering in a problem. I don't want any of you to be ministering out of depletion, but I can tell you if you face the realities of life today, for long enough you will become depleted. And we, we often find that pastoral ministry is 99% reactive. We, we don't think so enough. I know this is generalization. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's better here. I have to say that because I'm here speaking to you guys. I say that everywhere I go. It's better, it's better here, but it's not so good. This, in your own setting, we tend to do this. Everyone is okay until they send me an email telling them that their marriage is in crisis. Everyone is okay until they tell me that they're in hospital and their mind is in crisis. Everyone is okay until their parents come and tell me that they're addicted to porn online. Okay? Everyone is okay until we get told at the end of the road that it's going really badly. So actually, pastors are more like the ambulance men of the church than anything else. they They don't do the GP work to try and keep people healthy. They do the ambulance man work to come in and do CPR when everyone's dying. And I can tell you, I'd rather be a GP than an ambulance man. Because we should, be in the, in the, we should be working in pastoral ministry, not in the reactive ministry to disaster, because that is absolutely taxing. We should be in the ongoing nurturing ministry that keeps everyone running. 
And that way we wouldn't have to deal with 99% of the crisis that we have to deal with because we're pinching things early. And I want to say to you, if you're like me and if you're an Anglican, that means calling things out early, not waiting for the crisis to arrive. You know, you, you don't seem to be getting on as a couple right now. Tell me what's going on in your marriage. Are we actually there yet or, or, or are we having the divorce discussion? Uh, you seem to be very distracted in church on your mobile phone. You know, wh what is it that you're watching? Let's talk about what that's, what's going on here. You know, you, you seem to have a problem around, you know, in, in relationships. You know, what is it that you're doing that makes you feel that you need to disclude yourself like that? We need to call it out early. I, I, I think the pastoral ministry is the most under-imagined ministry in the church in the 21st century. You think about everything else. I mean, this is a worship experience. I'm so blessed this morning because I think there's, there might be a boy in the corner with a guitar and we'll sing a couple of rounds without any visuals of, you know, here I am to worship before I get up and speak. I come here, there's like nine people on the stage like leading us in glorious worship and like clearly you guys are extremely gifted musicians and there's beautiful graphics on the screen behind me. This is an imagined ministry, right? But it's been reimagined. Uh, your welcome is incredible. It's been reimagined. Your coffee uh, is awesome. It comes from Starbucks or somewhere like that. And it's amazing. Okay, so, so you have reimagined all of your ministries. So why are you doing pastoral ministry the same as it's been done forever and a day? Why have you not reimagined pastoral ministry in your uh, branch of churches for the 21st century? Because people are different, people, are, people have changed, the culture has changed, the communication styles has changed, so why haven't you changed? Why are we doing it in the same way, and why are we thinking that there's a way of doing it which is somehow the, the right way? So lots of us think, as pastors, I need to do the pastoral ministry in that way because that's the only validating way to do pastoral ministry, which makes me think the only reason we're doing pastoral ministry at all is because we need to be validated by pastoral ministry, not because we love pastoral ministry. And I would postulate that actually 60 to 70% of pastors only meet three or four people a week for the sake of ticking the box of saying, I've met some people this week, because they feel in their heart that they should. Yeah? So they feel like, I mean, can, are there pastors here willing, brave enough to put up their hands and say they feel like they should have those sort of meetings to validate themselves in their ministry, like it's the right thing to do? <laughs> Quite a few of us, okay. And that's okay to feel that way, but it makes me ask the question, is this not, this area of ministry, is this not the most under-imagined ministry that we've ever engaged with? Pastoral ministry is the place where you're most likely to find disloyalty, alternative power bases, and disaffection with leadership. Now, that's true. And I've worked with a whole load of pastoral teams. I run a massive thing called Pastoral Net, which helps to pick up people with pastoral needs. But I can tell you, without appropriate training, some of your pastors and your sub-pastors and your sub-pastor of pastors, they're the ones having a conversation in the corner with people who've got needs, saying, yeah, the church doesn't really love you. I mean, this church, it's, it's all full of, like, lovely people, but actually don't really, like, understand your sort of problems. But I do. I'm, I'm standing with you. And actually, the pastor's quite hard, and he's not really that loving or accessible. I found that in my life. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, they say, because you're the person in authority. So pastor and ministry can be undermining to your ministry, and, and it can be a tangential to your ministry. And I've had situations, I've worked in situations where the pastoral appointed minister is, you know, running a whole ministry adjunct to the vision of the church, creating their own power base, 
and then actually working in opposition to the church that pays their wages, that hosts them. You know, because they, they, they're basically saying, oh, you're the only person who understands me. It's like someone who speaks French. It's like, you know, I speak French, you're speaking French, let's speak French together, and let's create a French club over here. Everyone else over here is Australian, so stay away from them. You know, you have to recognize that pastoral ministry isn't neutral, and the people who you appoint to do sub-pastoral ministry under your leadership need to understand the overall vision of your church and the part that they play in that vision. But we make a mistake by farming them off into the corner, and actually we isolated them because we feel incompetent in doing the work that they're doing. We let them become the specialists, and we become the schoolboys and girls. We need to own this thing, friends. Because this is serious ramifications for how unified our churches are in the future. Pastoral ministry is set up to fail in the vast majority of successful and growing churches in the UK. It's set up to fail. How do we set something up to fail? We don't evolve ourselves in it. We don't seek to manage it. We don't fund it appropriately. We don't create the right structures for it. And we don't try and envision it. We end up sub-pastoring it out to professionals. We lose connection, and we think that actually it's the kind of, you know, it's the front-led delivery is the thing. Well, that might be the thing, but imagine if 20% of your congregation were thinking, oh, here we go, here's the shiny, happy people, you know, here are the people who aren't me, I don't get these, but you know, there's this lovely pastoral man or woman who's been looking after me, and I'm going to get them, that's why I come to this church. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? Think about the whole thing. How can you take this thing by the reins and actually say, I am a pastor as Jesus loves me. Jesus' heart to me fills me with love. I'm opening my heart to others. This is a pastoral church. And I just want to speak that over your church today prophetically, all of your churches. And I believe this place is filled with the love of Christ. I believe you as people are filled with the love of Christ and that you're all pastors as you share the love of Christ with those whom you love. Yeah, that's the thing. That is going to make the difference. But you own this, friends. This is for you. Now, I like to break pastoral care down. I'm not going to go through all of these in detail. But, <clears throat> but let's just give you some basic parameters for saying, how can I re-envision these? I call these the six Ps. It should be relatively easy uh, to work out. The first one, potentially the most boring, you might say. But, um, you know, on the Titanic, when they set out, uh, they made a ship, a beautiful ship, a great big ship. And then they decided that actually, obviously, it was necessary to have lifeboats on the ship because that's what you do. That's like having pastoral ministry in your church because that's what you do. Only you don't want that many lifeboats on your ship because actually that's kind of unsightly because you're dealing with like, you know, these things that aren't beautifully designed, whereas other parts of your ministry look beautifully designed. So you take some of the boats, the lifeboats, off of your ship to make it more aesthetically pleasing. And then you think, actually, there, there are nasty brown ropes going down from the side of the ship holding on to these small lifeboats that we'll never need anyway. So why don't we paint those white? Because that will go, be more in keeping with the ship. So we disguise the ministry so it looks more in keeping with the vibe of the church generally. But then what happens when we hit the iceberg and we need the lifeboats? So we haven't got enough lifeboats to help all of the people, so the ministry becomes exclusive to just a few. And actually, we can't even get the lifeboats down off the side of the boat because we painted the ropes so they don't slide through the blocks anymore. So we can't release the lifeboats, and we haven't got enough lifeboats anyway. So the ship goes down. Okay? If you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. That's true. Many of the churches that I go to have no pastoral policy. 
They've got no policy about pastoral ministry. They have a few maybe loose parameters about child protection or vulnerable adult protection, but they haven't actually devised a policy for pastoral ministry in the church. As in, what is it you're trying to achieve? What are you hoping to achieve through your pastoral ministry? How are the power structures organized? What counseling tools are you using? What referrals are you making? In what incidences are you going to respond in a particular way to a particular incidence? If you haven't got a policy or a plan, you're going to go down with the ship. Now, I think every church should have a pastoral care policy in place. Because if, you, you know, if you've got young pastors, this is small group leaders, connect group leaders, should all be aware of what we do and when we do it. To actually go on and go, hey, look, Chris, I've got a problem. You know, I've got a young person, they've disclosed this to me, what do I do? Well, you say, have a look at the pastoral care policy, because in, in that it says, if a young person it, it, it has disclosed these three issues, this is where you need to go next. Is it within those? No. Well, then you don't need to go anywhere. You just need to hold it and see how it develops. Develop a pastoral care policy, and then you can lean on it. People will say to you in the future, oh, you don't know anything about pastoral care, do you? Because so-and-so told me that I had to go over here and I couldn't come and see you. And then you can go, well, that's really interesting. For the last five years, we've had a pastoral care policy in place. I'd like to talk it through with you on why we do it. And this is a consistent approach that we take to pastoral ministry. You know, one of the great criticisms of the church is that the, the nature of the care is so different person to person. And pastoral ministry, in pastoral ministry, that's most true. It often depends on who you happen to bump into at coffee time and talk to, depending on what sort of ministry you'll receive. Some people will say, oh, brother, let me release you from that demon right now. Another person's busy to send you down to the NHS to get some medication. Another person here in the middle is saying, well, you could do that, you could do that, or you come to my special healing course. You know, and, and, and depending on who you see, you get a different response every time. But surely that isn't appropriate because you're all getting a unified worship approach. You're getting a, a unified teaching experience. Surely, whilst pastoral ministry is singular in nature, you should also be getting some sort of a consistent approach with pastoral ministry. This is what we do, and this is why we do it. Your perimeters will help, and pastoral pet care policy is one of those. Having some perimeters in your ministry, we'll talk about boundaries a bit later on, is absolutely essential because most pastors are unbounded. But actually, if you're pastoring outside boundaries, like Dave said about the river, you know, you're going to burst your banks, create a flood, and you're going to go down in a storm. You know, being unbounded without perimeters, pastoring without perimeters, it's actually, it's not just negligent, it's dangerous. You know, a friend of mine who's a, who's a vicar was recounting how early on in his curacy, that's the kind of early bit of your vicaring, um, he was called late at night by a single woman uh, who said there was a crisis at home and, you know, he kind of jumped out of bed, left his wife asleep, you know, drove around there in a real panic, you know, helped, helped this lady. Like the door was ajar, he thought there must be burglars. He walked in, suddenly the door behind him slammed shut and there's a naked lady standing there. <laughs> to welcome him home. He's like, oh, this is interesting. How am I going to get out of this house? I'm an ordained man, happily married. My wife is asleep. She doesn't know I'm here. And I'm here in your house, and you're naked, and you're holding onto the door. How am I going to get away? You try and explain that one in the morning. Darling, whilst you were asleep last night, got in my car, and I drove round to this woman's house. I went in the door, 
And then she was just happened to have her clothes off. And then I came home. And now I'm back in bed with you. You're in trouble, right? Have perimeters. And that links straight into protection. You know, self-preservation is the first form of rescue. I used to be, when I was a kid, I used to work as a lifeguard at a local pool. And I, I'd been, it was the time in Bay, we used to watch Baywatch with David Hasselhoff. I'm showing my age right now. I used to love that. I used to record that on VHS and play it back, you know. So I had visions of myself diving off the side of a boat, you know, with one of those orange rubber things and, you know, saving beautiful women bikinis. It was just all over my teenage dreams. Except I had to go to my local Lido to work, which is an outdoor pool, and uh, it was mainly families and stuff, and I'd sit in the town, I had a very cool pair of wraparound shades. And, and if you ever actually had to do a rescue, you had a sort of stupid aluminium pole that you had to kind of stick in the water like a fishing rod, get someone to grab it, and then pull them to the side. There was no glamour in that. There was no diving off of the edge. There was no going underwater. You know, it was just a boring aluminium pole that you'd fish someone out, like hooking ducks out of a paddling pool. You know, protection is about not diving in. And it's, it, the superhero part of us wants to dive straight in so much because we're all like George. We want to rescue the damsel from the dragon or we're like the damsel wanting to rescue George from the dragon, whichever way around you're working. You know, we all want to save people. But, you know, the worst sort of pastor, the pastor who's failing, if you like, not aside from the love of Jesus, but the pastor who's really failing in terms of practical management is the pastor who wants just to rescue people all the time. They are just driven to find their, their, their place in ministry by saving people. You know, they're like the disciples who've come up the mountain to find the lost shepherd, when actually it's the lost shepherd who needs to save the lost sheep. Yeah? We've got to stop that and give that one up because all that says is we aren't affirmed in our place as children of Jesus Christ. No, we are working for affirmation and place rather than for grace, because we've been saved at a price. That's it. And that's in all of us. I wouldn't say there's a single pastor who hasn't got that complex at work somewhere in their ministry, who, who doesn't in some way want to be validated as the David Hasselhoff of ministry. You saved me! Oh, it was nothing. <laughs> Perception is, you know, you guys are a spirit-filled church, right? And, 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 and the sharpness of the acts of perception in your ministry will save you so much labor. Asking yourself what is actually going on, what is really going on will save you so much time and effort. Actually, in seeking these things in the spirit, taking your time, doing your homework, waiting and seeing. Now, so often... When that adrenaline first kicks in, when we get the call, or when we're told the story, or when we've had the meeting, we just want to go through the process and go, oh, here's a person lost, and I'm going to save them and make them better. When actually what is really going on is completely different to what we believe is going on. I remember when I was very green in ministry, and a, a young man uh, arrived at the door of our church office, 
And someone came to get me and said, oh, well, there's someone here who needs some help. And this was me and my friend Theo. We used to be big rowers. And this one young man said, came in. He was a, clearly a rowing, you know, there's a rowing type. And he said, oh, he was quite polite. And oh, jolly good. And I've, I've just been kicked out of my home. And he had a backpack on. And he was very well dressed in kind of crew and jewels wear. You know, you could kind of like totally socially stereotype this guy. And I thought, oh, jolly nice young man. And you know, come and have a cup of tea and we'll sort you out sort of thing. And he recounted this story about how he'd been abused by his father and how he'd had to leave home and you know, he was in desperate need. And, and I, I, my, you know, everything in me was going, poor guy, I can save you and help you. It's going to be fine. And I sat with him for probably about 40 minutes before something that he'd said in the first round of conversation was repeated, but in a, such a different way, it sounded like he was saying something different had happened altogether. So I started asking a few questions. So I know earlier you said that, that this was happening at home, but just now you just said that this had happened. And he sort of looked at me quizzically, and I sort of looked at him and thought, something is going on here that isn't quite what I thought was going on here. And I said to him, have you, have you ever had any mental health problems in the past, just as an aside? <laughs> he said to me, oh, I've been sectioned four times. And I said, oh, okay. That sounds quite serious then. I said, do you want any medication? He says, oh, no, I gave that up about a month ago. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. Um... And I, I suddenly thought, well, this story, I don't know whether it's true or false, because what you're suffering from now. I said to him, would you mind if we made an appointment to see your doctor together, and I'll c accompany you and you know, try and help you? So he agreed. So I went to see his doctor, who obviously knew him really well, said his parents were lovely people, were desperately worried about him, stopped taking his medication, was having a manic episode, light psychotic episode, and, uh, and basically run out of the house with a backpack. Everything he told me was, you know, was a part of this disorder, part of his illness. And yet I was there ready to put him up in a, in a, in a bedsit in London, this young man overnight with a mental health problem. What would I have been exposing him to? A vulnerable man left on the streets of London in the middle of a psychotic episode because I wasn't listening properly. Yeah? Perception is a key tool in your ministry. Ultimately, your pastoral ministry is rooted in your personhood, who you are. And, and we're going to deal with this in the next in the session we do on perfectionism. But ultimately, personhood is acknowledgement that this is a person, not a problem to deal with. There is no tally you know, on your ministry pin board of the amount of people you've rescued. And you can strike it through like the nights you've spent at sea on a desert island. You know, I've got through 300. I've saved them all. You know, we are complex people with complex problems. Yet one of the big problems with the church today, you know, in generality, is that we like to think that we can hero rescue everyone, that everyone's life journey will be uh, sort of mess and horror, conversion, and then perfection. We want to process people through a plant and get out a product and then think that, that product is going to stay the same for the next 50 years. When people's journey is like this, you know, our forever friend is Jesus Christ. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever happens, whether you're going through the valley of the shadow of death or whether you're lapping the still pools of sweet water, whether you're munching on the grass of the green pasture, he doesn't say you're not going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He says the path is narrow and steep and hard. 
You know, this is a journey of life. So personhood and acknowledging that actually not everything is spiritual, in a sense. Not everything is mental. Not everything is physical. But everything is spiritual. Yeah? <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It's all spiritual. The mind, the body, the soul, it's all spiritual because it's created by God. But by the same token, we cannot simplify and, and process everything by saying, oh, you just need to pray these three prayers and it's all good. And it just doesn't work. Jesus invites us to the journey, not to the finish. Yeah? The finish is when we're in heaven. Finishes when we're in heaven, right? Now we're walking on the road together. So let's pray. Let's pray right now. We haven't finished yet, but let's just pray right now. God, we love you and we want to experience more of your love in our lives. And we want to say, Lord, we want to like open our hearts to you, Jesus, and just know that we're loved people. And we want to pray for ourselves as pastors that we would only pastor out of the love that we've received from you first. And all we pray on the journey through all the mess and the discordance that we would just stay connected to you and that we'd let your love flow through us to those who have great need. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, taking pastoral care on the line. Okay, if we're going to reimagine pastoral care, uh, imagine that we're going to take this stuff forward in some way in a digital context. Hands up here is using Twitter, Facebook, all those things as part of a central part of their ministry. Yeah, most of you guys are going to be using this and guys are using this stuff regularly. And actually, if we're going to do generality, if we're going to keep people afloat a lot of the time, there's a lot of benefit here, touching a lot of people and, and actually doing some of the general maintenance work through multimedia. Why not? Like, it's a great way forward. Pastoral care is dependent on what we call the pastoral encounter, and that creates general proximity between client and carer. And the digital world is a rich tool in the provision of both encounter and proximity. You want to multiply yourself as a pastor, right? Because that's what Jesus did. He took 12, then he took 72, then 500. And actually, we're about multiplying the pastors to actually create great impact, to spread the word, to spread the good news. And we can do that online. We can create great reach online. We can create encounter, and we can create uh, the pastoral care. So we can have that proximity of encounter and the proximity to Jesus. How we manage online is absolutely key. But here's a few thoughts about intimacy. If we're going to see transformation in people's lives, we've got to retain intimacy for change. Cheryl Turkle said that Technology. She's the kind of the whiz kid behind uh, this. She used to. She was on the com- on the cover, I think, of Forbes in like the 80s when the internet was first coming live. But she su- subsequently critiqued the internet. She says technology has become the architect of our intimacies. Like uh, the average time it takes now for a person to check their phone on is six minutes. That's the average time that 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 it takes between gaps for checking. Now, hopefully, I've held you for a bit longer than that, but I'm sure that a lot of you will have maybe checked a couple of times, even during this talk, on your phone. Now, our young people, I'd say it's even more prevalent, like every few minutes. And people are on Facebook and Twitter and stuff all day, every day. So, so the Internet is a powerful place for intimacy today. And I want to know why we're not exploiting it for the kingdom of God. Right? Why aren't we actually saying we can do serious damage here for good Whilst there's all so much stuff that's all for bad and evil, right? So let's try and counterbalance that. But we need genuine 
proximity and genuine intimacy. This is the proximity effect. At the bottom, uh, the, 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 this line is the, is, is the presence so far. Our intelligence is high, <laughs> and our inanity of our sentiments is low. And uh, the closer we get to the cat, uh, the more our intelligence drops, and uh, the more the inanity of our statements uh, join together. So we say, oh, you're a kitty. Uh, like we begin to say inane things, okay, when we're close to the cat. Um, we were with Theo's cat last night, which is completely inane. We're trying to talk theology about half past 11 last night, half past 10 last night. And the cat is just like on Theo's lap, cuddling him, and I, I'm not really mad on cats. I didn't see the inanity of his statements increasing. But what, what we need to recognize is, what we need to recognize is that actually uh, proximity changes our experience. What you actually think about pastoral ministry, what you actually believe about someone's setting will, if you like, be hijacked by your proximity to that person typically. Yeah? Have you ever thought, this person has got a serious discipline problem? When they come into my office, I'm going to just give it to them straight. They come into your office, you're like, oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, just let me make you some tea. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, well, I'm sure you're trying your best. <laughs> Never mind. Let me pray for you. That's it. That's it. And you had such good intentions to tell them exactly what was going on and what they needed to do. And yet you let them come in and the proximity to them made you just melt and become completely unintelligible. The inanity of your statements just increased. Now, on the line, you know, life is broad and we know we can be connected to everyone. We can be terrified about saying anything. But we need to be distinctive people. Pastoral ministry is about being clear and distinctive. It's not about being unbounded. It's not about making inane statements and going, oh, it's all so lovely. You know, Jesus was a hard pastor. You know, he was a sharp axe. Look at what he says. You know, he says to Peter, do you love me? What was Peter's response? Lord, you know that I love you. He was hurt because Jesus challenged the very core of him. Do you love me? Do you know what that means, Peter? Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. It was hard. Jesus, what do I need to receive eternal life? Be born again. What do you mean be born again? Be born again. Jesus, I, 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 I fulfilled the law and the prophets. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Give all your money to the poor and then come and follow me. <sighs> Serious. Jesus wasn't there stroking their long hair and admiring their sandals. <laughs> he wasn't going, oh, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, he is strong. Let's recognize the impact of proximity on our pastoral ministry. And on the line, let's be distinctive. Let me see some stuff from Hope City where I'm going, Whew, that's challenging. Let's be challenging with our young people. When they're posting porn and when they're sticking up like swear words and stuff, let's get on the line. I started doing this. Let's get on the Facebook. Whoa, hold on, kiddo. What's going on? I'm reading this stuff and I'm offended. Oh, no, I forgot I friended my pastor. <laughs> the thing is, if you're going to be a pastor, you've got to not be an imposter pastor. Okay? Real caring is real 
caring. It's not, what are we fake caring about today? You know, what are we fake caring? And you can do this in your office, but you can also do it on the line. So you can be like, oh, uh, someone's posted, oh, having a really tough time in hospital for treatment. Okay, quick. Oh, praying for you, loads of love. LOL, LOL. Uh, <coughs> some, someone else, oh, feeling really low today. Oh, quick, oh, what should I think? Of? Oh, uh, oh, uh, Jesus says, just smile. LOL, 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 LOL. <laughs> you know, like, we, we didn't even pray. We didn't even pray. We just said that we were praying, and then we got back to Facebook, you know, but then we found something else. You know, some pastors made it their ministry just to comment inanely on as many different posts as possible to say, LOL, 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 you can be my new, you know, you can be my BBF, BBF. Like, real pastoring, real, not imposter pastoring. You are not an imposter pastor. You are a real love of Jesus pastor. Let's make that for real. You know, the, the quality, this is Brian, okay? And uh, you've probably seen this, uh, this advert, Brian, hello, I am Brian. <laughs> and he, in this particular advert, he's rolled up and there's a couple having an affair in a car. And it's like they're making out in the car, and then Brian rolls up. And it's clear, it's palpable, the tension. The window rolls down. Hello, I am Brian. I can save you 200 pounds from comparethemarket.com. And, and, and the, the interference of this, you know, the, the adjunct of this offer is really telling to us as pastors. Pastoral care will only be as good as the care that is intended by the caregiver. Now, many of us online are like Brian. We're rolling into people's settings. Hello, I am Will. I am a pastor. Hello, hello, hello. I'll be your BBF. Yeah? Well, we've got to get not inane. We've got to call it out. We've got to call it out. Do you genuinely need help? If so, let's make an appointment. I think that comment is pretty unhelpful. Maybe you'd like to take it down. Ooh. Look at you. You know, let's be real. Let's, let's provide the quality of care that Jesus has offered us. But let's do that with parameters and boundaries. Because how can you provide quality? Not by, but not by being a flood. Just by being that river, right? Just by having those boundaries around us. If you think about care, uh, virtues of pastoral care, these are traditional virtues, uh, prudence, temperance, fortitude, justice, faith, hope, and charity. And these are what we call the ingredients of care, which are those reimagined for pastoral ministry, knowing, alternating rhythms, courage, honesty, trust, patience, hope, and humility. They're good values. How do we take them on the line in pastoral care? Digit media sense, are we, are we aware of how we're working? Sustained attention, oh, sustained attention. Let's stay with the person. Let's think about the person. Let's pray for the person. Respect for boundaries. Actually, this isn't appropriate. Um, as Dave said, I, I, I get lots and lots of stuff coming through, particularly from people with mental health problems. Some at night, and actually it was uh, in the night time that I received nine messages from one woman who was threatening to commit suicide. And, uh, and, and I woke up in the morning, it was actually in the morning of my day off, that I received nine messages from this woman saying, I'm going to kill myself. You know, if you, do, if you don't respond, I'm really going to kill myself now. Uh, and my children are asleep upstairs and there's no one else in the house. And I'm still going to kill myself. 
And it got to the morning, I just thought, actually, well, let's see if you're still there then. Uh, don't ever do that to me again. It's my day off. And then I get a reply back, oh, really sorry. <laughs> okay. There we go. So, okay. If there was silence, I would have been worried. But actually, there was a sorry. You know, it didn't happen. And, and you, you guys need to all be aware that it's possible to manipulate people online. And pastors can be easily manipulated. Especially by Christians. Because we think it doesn't happen. You know, the nature of one of the issues with BPD is that borderline personality disorder is by its very nature a manipulative disorder. You know, you get played all the time. One, I, at one point, I, I worked out one woman who had come to see me who had borderline personality disorder had actually in our church got 13 pastoral contacts who were working with her all, all concurrently, and she told them all it was absolutely essential, it was confidential, that, that, that no one else knew that, that, that she was being seen. So she was taking an hour out of 13 people's day and receiving a huge amount of care, and they were all respecting her boundaries. I only ever put it together after a couple of kind of chance conversations. It made me realize how good my pastoral team were. They were so confidential. But it also made me realize how, easy we are, how easily abused we are. You know, and, and think about that time. That's a lot of time. Now, think about media here. Like, uh, uh, this is cut out, but I used to only be there for some of the people some of the time. Now I can be there for all of the people some of the time. Okay? Ministry, new media ministry online, is, is, it can fool you into believing that you're available 24-7, 365. And I think there's a crisis amongst leaders, which is caused just by tiredness. Now, I want to say to you, friends, just take responsibility for yourself first and your relationship with Jesus first, and let everything else flow out of that. You know what about that happened on that night when Jesus was at Simon Peter's house? He never healed all those people. He never healed them all. Why? Because he got in a boat, and he went to the other side of the lake. He left people. It's disgraceful. Absolutely disgusting. How disgraceful that the pastor of pastors left loads of people on the floor unhealed and went away in a boat. Think about it. Are you offended? No. I'm not offended, and you shouldn't be either, because Jesus did what the Father had called him to do. He didn't do what the society suggested that he should do. If he did what society had suggested he should do, he should have beaten the Romans and set up as a king in the middle of Jerusalem. Instead, he beat Satan, destroyed sin, and set up as a king in the whole universe, right? Boundaries are essential. Pastoral care empowers a client to growth through the experience of boundaries, both their own and those of their guide. If you're a boundaryless pastor, you will never help anyone to get better because you might help them through the one crisis, but you'll never help them through the next. You have to be the person who coaches people to have good boundaries because you are an example of good boundaries. People get better long-term because they're helping themselves by spending time with God and doing the right things. Yeah? Ultimately, you cannot be anyone's therapist for the long haul. You can only help them to become their own best therapist, to become their own best supporter, to be their own best study guide to serve Jesus. You know, you have to enable them and equip them for boundaries because you are demonstrating those boundaries. And that's why you should not be afraid to show boundaries. Hard, healthy boundaries are pervious. Many, many young people today are struggling with limited or non-existent boundaries. 
and, and we see loose or porous bands, but we see also the rigid wall, which also needs work. But this is, this is becoming increasingly a problem. You might have seen in the papers this week a ballerina, a young 14-year-old ballerina who committed suicide. She said, I have 4,000 people online who love me, mum. And you know, she'd created an alter ego for herself, completely unbounded. And then her mum called her out and she threw her on, herself on the tracks at, uh, at St Pancras Station the next day. Beautiful girl, gifted girl. She had no boundaries online and she'd become enveloped, she'd become online. You know, we have to demonstrate boundaries. As I say, there's a risk of manipulation. These are some of the things that have come through online. I'm going to attempt suicide tonight. Bye, everyone. My last wish is that my siblings finish school and become emergency responders. That's it. We don't know whether that guy made it or not. But, but the likelihood is he made it. Because most of, the, most of the threats made online are what we call parasuicidal threats. They're there to gain attention. Now, you have to be quite careful with this stuff. I always say, if you're dealing with suicidal risk, take it 100% seriously, however it looks. Okay, always report, always follow up with your line manager, always make the call if you need to. I'm going to come into land. I've just got two minutes uh, to roll. So, you. We're going to deal with this more in the next session, but this is really the last set slide. Giving yourself permission to be the pastor that God has called you to be. Loving deeply and receiving love deeply. Defining your purpose. Why am I this pastor? Why am I doing what am I doing? What are my intentions behind my ministry? Protecting your time. This is time when I am not on duty. So many people think if they call the pastor, the pastor should be there for them. 24-7, 365. I read an interesting article this week about why PK's pastor's kids often go wild. One of the five core reasons was that their pastor, their father was available to everyone else but never to them. Available to everyone else, but never to them. If you're a parent, you've got to love your wife or your husband. And you've got to love your children. And then you've got to love your church. Right? And you've got to love God over all those. Take it slowly. There is no need to rush when you're trying to help people. It's a journey. So take time. Years are better than months. Months are better than weeks. And weeks are better than days. Get clarity about what you're being asked. Ask questions, pastor. What are they asking you for? Are they asking for a listening ear or a helping hand? Be honest about how you're feeling to yourself, to your manager, to your supervisor, to your spouse, to your peers. Talk about how the, how the encounter has affected you. Have a punitive system in place. Now, if you don't turn up, you've got three strikes. If you don't turn up this time, that's one. If you don't turn up the next time, that's another. And if you don't turn up the one after, then that's it. Uh, if you manipulate me, then okay, that's one mark down. Let's not do that again. Are you going to do that again? Okay, we're not going to see you again after this. There's, there, there are boundaries in place. You know, you're going like, to try and solicit someone else to help you? You're going to try and play me out? Okay, that's, let's take a couple of marks off here. You've got one chance to go. People respond to a punitive system, but pastors don't know anything about punitive systems because they think we all need to be going, oh, you're so lovely, it's all good. Filter online context. Recognize that stuff you're dealing with online is in context, trying to work out what is actually being said and what's it responding to. Honor your feelings and your comfort level. Whoa, this is way above my pay grade. I'm not going to go there. Actually, I'm vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. And so I'm stepping away right now. This is pressing buttons that I want to I get pressed right now. Or this is an area of weakness. If your weakness is porn, don't start ministering to loads of people who are struggling with porn. 
Okay? If your, if your weakness is affairs, don't start ministering to loads of women who are struggling you know, with broken marriages or husbands or whatever it is. You know, if you're struggling with eating disorders, don't start trying to counsel every girl online who's got an eating disorder. Because you're trying to save yourself, and by trying to save yourself, you're going to wound yourself. Yeah? Be thoughtful and care-orientated in your responses. Thoughtful and care-orientated. You know, that means just not saying, this is the answer, all the best with that. You know, let's love people and journey with people long term. That's it, we got, we're going to some coffee. Let's just pray, this, just, we're going to have some questions later, but this is a long session. But let's just seal this for the Lord's sake. Jesus, we want to pray that anything that's rubbish would fall to the ground and die. But anything that's of you would really take root in our hearts, seed up, grow, and we'd see fruit coming from it. In Jesus' name, amen.